Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Never lose the childlike wonder. Show gratitude. Don't complain. Just work harder. Never give up. Randy Pausch. If you have one or two hard things happen and that screws you up for the rest of the day, then that's probably how you live your life. Whereas I could have the whole day be pretty hard and rough. And then you see this one thing where the sun comes through these clouds and you're like cold as hell and you're wet a little bit. And like, do you have the capacity to look at that and think, man, I'm so lucky to be here, or this is so awesome, or um, just that kind of mentality of like, when things get hard, do you go, man, this is hard? Or when things get hard, do you do you em- embrace it? Like I would always say to myself, especially when I was alone um, on the way south, is uh, I would just repeat this like mantra in my head of love, like all bad times pass. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, Dirt Bags and Hiker Trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute to help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. This week, I've got a real treat for us as we have a chance to sit down with PCT through hiker John Schwartz. John, though, did things a bit differently from the usual folks you'll find hiking the 2,650 miles from Mexico to Canada. Once he got to the finish line, he turned around and hiked back to the beginning. That's right. He turned the PCT into an out and back trail with an epic yo-yo hike. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, John. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're excited to talk to you. I, I, gotta, I have to hear about this experience and we'll get to that. 
but I have to imagine that uh, somewhere along those 5,300 miles or, or maybe even before that, you had to have picked up a trail name. Have you picked up a trail name? Yes, uh, my trail name is Airborne. I picked it up in 2017, so the year before I hiked the PCT. Okay, and we always have to hear the story behind the trail name. Why Airborne? Did you fly off a cliff? Did you uh, yeah. have some <laughs> dramatic it. accident? Um, yeah, I mean, luckily, so I'll just start at the beginning. So um, every year, I, or for a few years in a row, I would go hike the PCT section of the, of the John Muir Trail, go through all the high passes every summer. Um, I, um, I have like a summer break from work, so I would just use that time to just head out to the Sierra and unplug and just go see some cool stuff. Um, that's kind of where I met through hikers in 2016 and, uh, or 2015, um, at chicken spring Lake, um, at the entrance to the Sierra. And so I kind of was like, what is this? What are you guys doing? And it really intrigued me. So I was trying to figure out like, do I have what it takes or what gear do I need? And trying to just trying to learn from people. Um, and so 2017 was a huge snow year and that was super exciting to me because I love hiking through the snow. I love that kind of like supper fest type situation. So I went out to hike the PCT and um, started at Chicken Spring Lake. So I went from where I live at sea level to spending the night at like 11,000 feet um, was feeling not too great um and then the next day we were gonna climb mount whitney starting at midnight the next night so like less than 36 hours later i went from sea level to the top of mount whitney was all good i was starting to feel not too good at the top so i turned around or i you know was like i'm not gonna hang out for sunrise all the way so i turned around came back down um on the way down i was kind of like well, saving sliding in some like soft areas that had hit the sun and then um i was just struggling i was going slow and the guys that i had been hiking with were a little bit ahead of me and they were like down a couple switchbacks and there was this if you've ever climbed on that guitar lake side of mount whitney oh yeah there's a there's like in, in the snow there's just huge glissade like one of the switchbacks cuts back you kind of keep going out and then there's a huge glissade all the way down this big snowfield. Well, it was kind of like perfect conditions up where I was. So I was like, hey, I'm just going to go do this. And looking back on it, like it was a stupid decision. Like I definitely had like altitude brain and was just like, get me down. And um, so I started off where it was nice. And then within like 10 yards, it was in the shade and it just turned into a bobsled run where it was just, I was in a tube of ice and I was going, I had my ice axe. And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, digging in, slowing me down. And all of a sudden it just like somebody just instantly stopped it and it just ripped right out of my hand. I didn't have gloves on like an idiot. So my hands were all cold. Um, and so, yeah, I shot down that like bobsled run, like ice tube. And in the afternoons, when you glissade, you kind of slough up snow between your legs and like a little like mound builds up. And then you kind of stand up and then get over that and then sit down again and slide back down. Well, those had all frozen into like jumps. Oh no. So like 
as soon as I lost my ice, I started clawing at the ice to try to slow myself down, end up just like tearing my hand. Like you, you can't really see it, but there's like, there's scars like, Oh yeah, I can see it. I can see it. If, if, if you're listening on, yeah. the, uh, if you're listening on, on Spotify or on Apple podcasts, hit the, hit the pause button, go over to YouTube, check that out. You can see the scars from yeah. this. Wow. Yeah. So like the whole side of my hand is kind of chunked up and split up. Um, nothing serious. All my knuckles were just bloody. There's no skin on my knuckles. Um, and so every time I would hit those jumps, I would just launch into the air. And then, um, it's kind of a twofold name. Um, but like I kept, all I knew is when I hit, I, I didn't know what to do at this point. I wasn't even focused on what would happen. Like I was there. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, and since I launched in the air, all I knew was like, I can't land on this ice. If I land from this high up going this fast, like I'm going to break things. So I just tried to like spread out. I, I didn't even think about it. This was just something that I was just like, I can't hit any one part of my body hard or that part's going to break. So I kind of like spread it. I kind of like spread out and like lean back and hit my arms, my heels, my tailbone, my shoulder blades all at the same time and try to just spread out the impact. And then just, I would go back into the tube and then boom, hit the next one and just launch into the air. And it's like an uncontrolled, just like roller coaster of just flying down. Um, and then eventually I got, I hit the trail, the, the, the snow trail. So the trail was going across the snow. Right. Obviously there's like a little like dip in it. And so I hit that and below that was like 30 yards past that was just like boulders granite like sharp boulders or if i hit if i hit those going that fast like i was done and uh so i don't know i coach soccer so i do like a lot of like agility stuff with kids so all i knew is like the only way i could really in this situation was like using the momentum was to kind of once i hit my my like tailbone and launched was to kind of like shoulder roll and like duck and flip over onto like all fours and so I just flipped the run to all fours and just started like digging in my hands into the ice and like sliding down. And I finally stopped and the guys I was with were like right on the trail. So I flew right past them. And then I just stood up and was like, Oh man, my hands are killing me. And they were just like, your hands. Like, that's it. <laughs> like we thought we were going to watch you die. Like we were ready to push like SOS <laughs> and, um, so yeah, the guy I was with was in the airborne division. So he was just basically like, wow, you got airborne. And, um, and then people started saying that back at camp at Crabtree Meadow. And then, um, I was kind of just describing how I, wa I wanted to splay out and not like hit everything at once. And he was like, yeah, that's kind of how they like teach you in the military. If you're going to land like heavy on a parachute, you don't like just crush one part of your body you try to break the fall with heavy gear over like you want to maximize the surface i really area. didn't know that i guess right yeah exactly i guess when you like you watch someone land that makes sense i don't know how i thought of that mid mid uh mid fall <laughs> <laughs> with altitude brain but um yeah i kind of handled it well considering i got myself into a really stupid situation and uh that's kind of how it stuck um People tried to call me coach before that, but I coach for a living. So it's the last thing I wanted my trail name right. to be. Um, and Airborne kind of just stuck. And I don't know. I liked it. So 
I went with it and that was like my first time really hiking with through hikers for like multiple days in a row. Wow. There's a lot to unpack right there, Airborne. Usually we save the, the really good stories for, you know, later in the episode, but man, this, this, you, you right out of the, right out of the stalls here, you, you, you nailed it. So what a story, what a way to earn a trail name. I mean, that's, that's coming by it the hard way. Yeah, that was, I mean, I, that was day two of my trip of my, my 10 day trip. So like, and at, at this point I didn't use trekking poles. So like, I was slipping and sliding and falling and I literally just had no skin on this. Like I had chunks, like deep, deep chunks gone, like where it looked like, looked like a steak. Like it looked oh. like some pork like, yeah. in my hand. So I had to like wrap it up. And then like, this is my good hand. I'm a lefty. So then my whole summer vacation trip was just like me in extreme agony on this hand was completely useless every time i would slip i'd put my good hand down and then it would just be like pain but i mean it was really fun like so yeah now this was 2017 heavy snow year in the sierras correct i remember that i remember that my son and i uh jukebox we we did the the southern half of the the jmt that uh late late summer and there was still a ton of snow around so that was a, a heavy snow year and you know what, you know, skin's overrated. You don't need all your skin, you know, just most yeah. of it. Well, like I always try to joke around with people when they're like, Oh, like what if you're going to slide and get hurt? I'm like, yeah, my skin grows back. Like my wind pants don't true. Like if I ruin my wind pants, I got to buy new ones. If I right. get a really bad raspberry on my shin, like it sucks for two weeks, but then it grows back and it's fine and it's free. And it's free. That's right. That's the important part. Skin grows back for free. You don't want to have to dip into the bank to, to get more pants. Yeah, exactly. Now, altitude brain is a real thing. Absolutely a real thing. I, I, I found myself in a couple of spots up in the Sierras not being able to form coherent thoughts. And uh, so I, I really empathize with your, your, your plight there about uh, decision making coming down. You know, I should have known better. My for the first time I climbed Whitney, I um I left the soccer practice. So I left like work in the evening. I left at like nine o'clock from Ventura County and drove straight to Whitney and then went straight to the trailhead and went straight to the top. So I went from sea level to like to top of Whitney over a matter of like six hours, six and a right. half hours. Yeah. And, and some, uh, for some of our listeners out there who may not be familiar with Southern California, Ventura is on the beach. It, it, I mean, it, it is a, yeah. it's a coastal town. And how long is the drive from Ventura to, to uh, Whitney portal? Three hours, three hours. So you, you left at nine, you got there at midnight. Yeah. And then started at midnight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the only like, I mean, there's a lot of issues with that, but like I live at 50 feet. <laughs> so it's like, it's not very high up. Um, yeah. Like I struggled the whole time. I, from trail crest up and down, I was dry heaving and vomiting the whole time. And like, it was not good. It was very bad, but sounds like it sounds like a good time. Yeah. It was like the only time. So the permit system is kind of hard and I don't really apply for those things. Cause I just don't care. Like I'm not going to, I don't, I don't know, I'm not going to reschedule my whole life around like just climbing Mount Whitney. But a friend of mine had somebody drop out of their group. And so it was for these days. And that was the only time I could do it was if I left work that evening. And then I had to climb Mount Whitney and then get back for work that, that next evening. 
So like I had to leave, go climb Whitney, get down, drive back, and then be at work in the afternoon, in the late afternoon. And that was like the only way I could squeeze in something cool that was an opportunity that I don't even try to go for that was offered to me. And in my, you know, stupid brain, I was like, that sounds fun. And uh, so I went and did that and it was extremely exhausting. All right. So for all of my listeners out there who think to themselves, I just don't have the time to get out there and have an adventure. Take, take a page out of Airborne's book here. He, he, squeezed, he squeezed in that adventure in between uh, one work night and the next work night. He, he went from sea level to the top of Whitney and back. Yeah, I mean, I do those kinds of trips quite often um, where not to that extreme, but in terms of like, sometimes I'll leave, I'll get off work in the, at, at, at like in the dark and then I'll drive somewhere by like 930. I'll hike in until midnight. And then I'll be able to wake up somewhere really cool. And then if I get up and watch the sunrise and then hike out um, in the morning, I can get back and still be here like hours before work. But instead of just sitting at home, I was able to get in, you know, a backpacking trip. I was able to wake up outside. I was able to look at the stars in the middle of nowhere. Um, If, you know, Southern California area, I'm pretty sure. Um, like yeah. Mount Pinos is where I would go a yeah. lot. The skies are very dark. There's almost nobody out there. Um, and it's a really easy entry point to do oh, at yeah. night. There's Yeah, the parking the parking lot's just two miles from the summit. So that's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and so I would go past the summit, like over towards Sawmill area. And right. there's a couple yeah. camps out there that are like yeah. really nice and really cool. Um, and... It's just, I don't know, I love trees and living where I live, not a lot of trees. I mean, they're trees, but they're like planted from the town. Like they're in the town. They're not like the hills aren't full of trees. So for me, like I just love the fact that I can wake up in a pine forest. I can wake up somewhere with like ponderosas all around me and junipers. And that that always got me, my juices going. So Nice. So Airborne, I, I think I have a new favorite trail name story. It used to be 127. Uh, a friend of the podcast, former guest of the podcast who was hiking the AT and he, he slipped on a, a, a log uh, bridge, got his, got his legs stuck between two logs and was sitting there for 20 minutes waiting for help and no help arrived. So he ended up prying himself out eventually. And he told that story back in camp and they said, Oh, like the guy from 127 hours. And so he, they started calling him 127 hours. And that was, that was, too long a name and then it was just 127 and that was still too long and so it just became 127 but airborne your story of sliding down uh <laughs> the the bobsled run and going over the jumps that is my my new favorite so congratulations uh from from this point forward on the podcast you'll be airborne i'm doc doc does not appear on my paycheck or my driver's license but uh, that's the trail name so we go by trail names here on the podcast Sounds good to me. Thank you, Doc. Okay. All right. Hey, have you had a chance to listen to any of our any of our episodes? Yeah, a few of them. Okay. So you are familiar with a segment that happens towards the end of the episode called the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. We've already heard several bits of trail wisdom from you, but uh, when we get to the very end and we get to the Pro Tip Insight of the Week, I'll turn to you and ask you to share some more trail wisdom to make our listeners' next outdoor adventure even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. Sounds good. Okay. The must bring gear review. Oh, hey, that was half calf with the introduction to our next segment there. 
This is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs, and here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Airborne, what is your must bring piece of gear? Oh, is this considering like worn stuff, like stuff that I wear every day? Well, it could be, it could be stuff that you wear during the hike. It could be stuff that uh, is inside your pack. It could be your pack. It could be your, your, your shoes. Uh, you know, it's up to you. What, what, what do you have to have out there? If you had to make do with generic, everything else, what, what is this that you need to have specifically for airborne out there? What I specifically need to have just based off my prior sports injuries, I have to have calf sleeves. If I don't have calf sleeves, I literally make it like four miles and then I'm done. Like my calf seizes up and then all the nerves are like stuck in some scar tissue. So without that, like I'm, I'm, I'm literally like hobbled <laughs> without, without my, my uh, calf sleeves. But I would say my shoes, like, um, I mean, it's kind of hard to forget your shoes, but in terms of like, I don't know, once I found Hocus, I did the first 16, first 1800 miles up to bend in boots. And once I switched to Hoka's, I was like, this is so easy. Like, this is so much easier to not hike in pain every single day and not have sweaty, beat up feet every single day. All of a sudden it was like, this is easy. I'm going to do it. It's guaranteed. Like, yeah. If the feet, if the feet aren't happy, nobody's happy. Yeah. I suffered the first, like that full time because I, I tore part of my plantar fascia which is like part of my calf thing and part of why I was wearing boots um, playing soccer or I just kept playing, kept playing. And I knew it was injured, but I kept going. And then it got to a point where I was in a boot for like three months. And, and like, I still have a huge ball of scar tissue in it. And so I was only, I was never able to wear like ultras or any minimalist type running shoes or zero drops because it would just inflame up and I'd be done. But once I switched to Hoka's, I was like, I need to give it a shot. Like I can't take boots anymore. And since then, like I have like four pairs of Hoka's that I would currently wear, like for all different things. Like if I'm going on a date, I have my date Hoka's. If I have, Hocus. I I'm going it. to work, I'm going to work. <laughs> and like, if I'm going, if I'm going hiking, I have my hiking ones. Like I have casual, like it's ridiculous because I'm for so long, I had foot like pain. Right constantly so like now i don't and now i can wear other shoes because i think i just think i've gotten so much stronger and hokas have kind of helped me get over that over that hump right. so i would definitely say shoes because that just you know if you got bad wheels you're That's not really right. going far absolutely now for all the ladies out there do you have do you have your date hokas near you that you can hold up can we take a look at your date hokas uh no i do not have them near me right now <laughs> they're at the front door um they're just the simple ATR challenger, uh, just black hokas. Like they just, just black. They're not some flashy color. No. Cause they're all flashy colors. Like pretty much all the hokas are flashy right. colors. So I was like, you can't really go on a date with some like turquoise and orange shoe. It would be a conversation like, starter. I mean, she would look at that and say, Hey, what's going on with it? What's going on with the date hokas here? Yeah. I mean, maybe in Denver, I don't know how that flies in Ventura in terms of <laughs> a little too close to LA for that. <laughs> All right. Hey, fantastic. 
It's the hiking pole. Oh, to help us uh, continue to talk about gear and your decisions out there on the trail, we've got the hiking pole, and that is pole spelled P-O-L-L, not P-O-L-E. It's pretty clever. I like I, I like that little turn of I phrase like there. It. Okay, yeah. all right. Thank you. That's the, that's, the, that's the best reaction I've had so far. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and so through the hiking pole, this is going to allow me to evaluate how sane you are. And so I'm going to give you a score from one to 100 with 100 being completely sane and one being completely bonkers. There's already a 20 point deduction because you've done a long trail. And not only have you done a long trail, you've done, you've done a, a yo-yo up and back, out and back. And so it might be a, more than a 20 point deduction, but you wear that as a badge <laughs> of honor. Okay. So you ready? I've got seven questions for you. First question. Uh, sounds like you, you may have converted at one point. So uh, trekking poles or no trekking poles? Poles for everything. Poles for everything. Not at first. Not at first. I just didn't understand. Um, It's just a, it adds extra mileage. Like if I'm going to do 35 miles, I can have, you know, 10% less wear and tear on my body. Like once you get to the really high miles and those types of things, those small margins make a difference. And um, yeah. Like it just makes it, I have long gangly arms. So it just makes my, gives me something to do. So I don't look so stupid. <laughs> gives, them something, gives them something to do. All right. Yeah. Okay. And we know the answer to the next question, boots or trail runners? Trail runners for everything. Now I wear a mountaineering. Yeah. Even you, you, you wear them out on a date. So, I mean, that's. Yeah. That's I climb Mount Baldy in the winter and I'm in people look at me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, what is your preferred shelter system? Tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or cowboy camping? Tent. I cowboy camp twice the whole the whole yo yo. And what don't you like about cowboy camping? Bugs. Like, not that I don't not that I don't like bugs or I'm afraid of bugs, but like it just I don't sleep as well. Like I'm just like thinking like, oh, is that a bug or I don't know. And honestly, I was alone for so damn long that like I needed my little like home. Like I wasn't cowboy camping next to three people. Like I was alone for months. So it just comes down to like, I needed a place to call home. And that was my home, like where I could spread out a little bit. And I was by myself. I wasn't eating with somebody at dinner. Like I would get in my tent, I would make dinner in my vestibule. And then I would like roll over and go to bed and like, there wasn't a lot of, I don't know, socializing going on. <laughs> okay. So, so a bit of refuge. Tent, 100% tent. All the okay. Time. All right. What's your preferred tent? Do you have a, do you have an ultralight tent or do you have a, a freestanding tent? I have an ultralight tent that I hate, but I wear, I use it. Okay. Well, like, if you hate I, it, I'm not I'm sure. Just, do you want, do you want no, to share like, the brand I, or no? No, like I love the tent. I'm just six, two and everything in the world is built for somebody six foot. So like I have a Pleximid and they stopped making the Altiplex, which would have been right in my alley during this time. Like they brought mm-hmm. it back. So like during the period where I bought this tent was like the one time when they didn't have it. Right. Um, I love the design. I love the tent. If it was six inches longer, it would be the best tent in the world. But as it is, like I constantly just wake up with like a wet head and wet feet. Mm-hmm. I always considered myself height challenge, but you know, five, five, nine, I mean, all, all the gear is perfect for me. So it's kind That's of a like, reverse discri- reverse discrimination here. Yeah, it's like all the quilts are maybe somebody six feet, or you have to go right. to six six. Like there is right. no like middle ground. So 
everything I have has to be like the large version of it. And, you mm-hmm. know, I don't weigh a lot. So it's not like body weight ratio. It's hurting me a little bit. So, I mean, maybe, you know, in addition to your, your soccer coaching gig, you could hit the sweet spot here with maybe like a camping gear, big and tall type of uh, focus. What do you think? Big and gangly. Yeah. Big, big and gangly. Yeah. <laughs> nice. nice. That, that, at least that's not your trail name. So that's, that's good too. Big and gangly. Yeah. That's why I, yeah, I really latched onto Airborne when that came. Around. Yeah, <laughs> that was cool. It was there's a, a a fantastic story with it. You're gonna latch onto that. Hang on to that one. Well, people okay, kept trying next... to call me. Try to kept trying to call me Christopher McCandless because when I have like my long beard, like I see, I look a little more. I look a little gaunter. I like, see it. I, I can see skinny. that. Yeah. Yeah. People go like, "Oh, you look like that guy." I'm like, "Thanks." You know, he died, right? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> not taking that one okay next no. question uh sleep system sleeping bag or quilt i think i heard you say quilt is that uh, the way quilt. you lean yeah yeah cool uh, and what, what is the ben- what is the benefit of a quilt um i think it's a lack of downfall from a quilt like people always talk about like oh you're gonna be colder you're gonna be this you're gonna drafts i have an enlightened equipment enigma um, so it's got the sewn foot box. It's, there's no zipper to undo it or anything. Um, but with the little clips that go around your pad, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know what's there. It's warmer than the big manufactured quilts that I used to get or uh, sleeping bags that I used to get. So I tried it just to save some weight and it's warmer than my sleeping bags used to be. And so I just, I didn't see any sort of, it just seems completely logical to me. It was like when they explain it of like, if you're laying on your insulation, it doesn't do anything for you. Like you don't really need that material down there. It's not adding that much warmth. The warmth goes up. So might as well just like have it clipped into the sides and then you're good. And uh, yeah, I just, that just seems like a progression to me of like, duh. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think people get quilts and then they don't, they're a cold sleeper. Like I'm a hot sleeper. I eat so much that my body just doesn't retain the calories. My metabolism just like turns me into an oven. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I just think a lot of people don't, they should just maybe if they're like, cool, it's too cold for me. Well, it's like, maybe you should just get a lower temperature rating. Right. One. But I don't know. I just find it so much more useful. Like if I'm, I can just put it on as a blanket or I can just sit there with it over my legs and then have the rest flopping over. And I don't know, it just seems so much easier. I hate the zipper. I hate that kind of stuff. Right. Right. Zippers break. And yeah. So I just love quilts. Nice. Next question. Uh, This is a dangerous question for your scores. Could be a huge point deduction. So be careful here. See if you can navigate this. Uh, And when it comes to food, stove, cold soak or stoveless. (laughs) Um, Yeah stoveless no cold soak stoveless no cold soak yeah so i just make sandwiches i bring like a bottle of mayonnaise a bottle of mustard um usually some dijon if i can find it in the in the in a town um i tend to go on trips in the off season for the most part like where Uh it's cold um so i'm usually early or i'm late in the season um just to I mean, usually, I don't know. I don't like huge crowds around and stuff like that. Okay. So how um, long does a, how long so, does a jar of mayonnaise last on the PCT? Um, like not during July, like it'll last like 
five days. Okay. So when you think about it, so I, so let me go through this quick because the man's question always comes up. Um, if you think about it, it's coldest in the morning. So if I leave the mayonnaise out at night, it gets colder and colder. I usually sleep somewhere high up or somewhere cold. Um, and if I pack it then in the middle of my backpack around all this expensive insulation that I've bought for all my other gear, it's also insulated from the heat on the outside too. So if I put that really cold mayonnaise in the middle of my backpack, surrounded by insulation, Throughout the day, it doesn't get warm. Like it stays pretty cool. And mayonnaise goes, doesn't go bad as fast as people think. Um, and I eat so much mayonnaise that like, you know, uh, 11, ounce, 11 and a half ounce bottle of mayonnaise only lasts me like five days, like four days. Cause I right. eat a lot of, that's a lot of calories. It's, you know, density wise, calorie wise, that's about. So you've turned your backpack into a thermos basically, right? Yeah. So I put the yeah. cheese in there that the, the mm -hmm. cheese is a really cold. Like I think of the cheese as like almost like a little, like cold storage, a little bit like a little battery bank for coldness because the cheese will get cold too. And that's denser. So that takes longer to heat up. So I put some extra sharp cheddar next to that. And, um, yeah, everything tends to stay, stay cool when you put it together and you keep it in the same bag. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I eat mayonnaise cheese. I bring a Tupperware, uh, like a Gladware, mm -hmm. um, and I put a loaf of bread in there, so the bread doesn't doesn't get squished or anything. So that's probably like one of the biggest things in my pack is like this Tupperware that has bread in it. Um, okay. And what what was your and, base weight on the PCT? Um, at the beginning, it was like eleven and a half pounds, and then it got down to like ten, ten ish. Okay. And then um. And then it, it fluctuates between like 12 and like nine and a half, depending on the season. Right. Um, right. Okay. That so, wasn't a yeah. question. That wasn't a question in the, in the hiking pool. That was just, that was a side question there. So uh, next yeah, question. So Go ahead. How crazy ahead. I am. I just eat a bunch of cheese and mayonnaise and bread. Okay. And All right. Like sausages and stuff like that. <laughs> so that, that would have been automatic point deduction, but the way you explained it, I might, I might've added some points back in there. So that's, that's good. There's okay. logic behind the things oh, I yeah. do. It I can may see be it. crazy logic, but mm -hmm. there's some process behind it. Mm -hmm. There is process. All right. Hey, life is better above or below the tree line? Above. That a boy. I knew I liked it. It feels you. like something totally different. It feels like you're on some grand adventure that's like it just feels like a different world. It feels like you've escaped all the trappings of everything else. Whether it's like bugs or whether it's people or i don't know maybe it's like that kind of little bit of high you get from just being that high up and that like endorphin rush of just like wow this is so amazing look at this look where i am it feels like i'm on a different planet um yeah I just there's, something, there's something to be said for an alpine lake in the middle of a, a granite just desolation it, it's just uh, gorgeous yeah, like i always say life's way better about 12 feet Okay. Now, uh, what's more important, pack weight or luxury items? I'm going to say pack weight just because I don't have very many luxury items. Like, um, but like, but things that I can, like luxury item is something that like, I don't need. Like I need an air pad. I need a Neoair. Like, mm -hmm. I need, I'm too skinny to be sleeping on the ground. Like my hips stick out. Like there's no way. 
I'm going to get a good night's sleep. So like some things people think is luxury might not be luxury to me. Like I don't bring a pillow, but I just use my backpack as my pillow and my food. So, mm-hmm. so like, yeah, I'd say pack weight just because I like to be efficient. If it, if it's beyond, if it's like suffering, then it's not, that's not, that's not doing anything for you. You're just doing right. it just to be cool then. Like, yeah, like I don't okay. try to really, I'm not really streams on a lot of things. Okay. <laughs> Except for between nine and 10 pounds, nine and 11 pounds. That's, 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 uh, that's pretty ultralight, but, uh, you're saying that you, you bring, you bring the necessities so that you're not suffering. Yeah. And like a lot of people look past this idea of I buy ultralight gear, expensive ultralight gear. So it's so light that I can bring anything that I want and it's not going to over like people go like, Oh, I don't like ultralight gear. I'm like, well, I get the idea. Like you don't have to suffer, but if I buy really light gear, then I can bring that luxury item if I want to for this section, or I can, you know, carry that, you know, those three burritos from town and that weigh like four pounds total. And it's not a big deal. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm planning to have light gear. So then if I need to bring something heavier, it doesn't matter. Right. Hey, bonus question, Airborne. One, one more bonus question for you. Cause I'm intrigued. Uh, Full size toothbrush handle broken off holes drilled through the handle, or I don't use a toothbrush. I just use my finger. God, that last one's horrible. <laughs> um, no, I just bring like a, a, a travel toothbrush. So okay. one that kind of, you know, comes apart and then I can put it back into itself. So it doesn't get dirty. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like flossers. Oh, and flossers. Yeah. Wow. Look at you. Well, like at some point, like (laughs) that's the only thing I'm going to like, I keep my butt and my mouth clean on trail. Like that, that sounds like a pro tip right there. Everything else is dirty as hell, but like, there's no way I'm going through life with a dirty butt or like a dirty mouth. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, let me do some quick math here. I'm going to, let's see, I carry the three. I'm going to divide by the square root of two. Got to multiply by pi, adjust for the height of Mount Whitney, and you come out to a solid 64. All right. All right. Yeah, well done. That's great. Yeah, that means I'm not that crazy. You've got just the right level of crazy. Yeah, it's a first. Well done. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, before we go to break, let's uh, let's get a quick synopsis of your background, where you grew up. Did you play sports in high school? And how did you get involved in the, the through hiking cult? Um, yeah, I grew up in Oxnard and Camarillo, California, in Ventura, you know, right by the beach. It's like, you know, people ask like what the weather is. I just go at 75 and sunny. I don't even need to check. Like that's mm-hmm. it year round. Um yeah, I played sports. I played really high level. Like I was a national champion at 16. Um, my team was like number one in the nation for like four years in a row growing up um, playing soccer. Um, travel. Which club? Which club all... did you play with? Um, it was called SoCal United back in the day. Yep. It was then it was Real SoCal. And yep. then um, now it's LAFC. Um, yeah. my, I, I, all three of my kids played club soccer. Two of them played with uh, um Real SoCal. So, yeah. Yeah. So like we were their first national championship team. I coach at a club called CVU right next to it. 
Mm-hmm. Because I'm a little more developmentally based as a coach compared to a player. I just didn't care when to win. Um, so yeah, I played soccer at a really high level. Um, went to college, you know, like eight guys from my club team went pro. Like I kind of lost my focus at that point a little bit with like, just, you know, coming of age and going to like having fun and girls and just like, you know, just losing your focus on like long-term stuff. Airborne, um, how, how old are you? I'm 35. 35. Okay. And then, so basically in like college, I got a lot of injuries. I got staff in my shit. Like I just had a bunch of stuff happen that was like really in bad and in about ba- causing balance injuries and knee surgeries and stuff. Um, and so I kind of always knew like if I would have focused, I don't know, you ever hear those guys that go like, I could have been this or I could have been that. And like, that's just the most annoying stuff thing in the whole world. It's like, no, cause you didn't like, like you didn't do it. So don't, don't say you could have because you would have, if you could have. And, um, and so I kind of started thinking about that by myself. Like I always knew I was an amazing athlete, but didn't, you know, I hadn't proved it since I was like a kid. And so I was kind of thinking like, I'm so stubborn. I'm so like, I will never give up. Like I do not give up. Like that's my biggest strength is like, I'm just, I'll just keep going and keep going no matter how hard it gets. And, um, and so I wanted to see if, if I had that drive to be like really great at something still, like if I had the, the mentality and the fortitude to really like push through the hard times. And if like, if I was as tough as I thought I was, when I'm telling these kids to, to fight through the tough times and persevere for a long-term goal, you know, you kind of start to, at least any humble coach, like you should start to think to yourself, like, do I follow my own advice? Like, am I full of it? Am I giving somebody advice that I wouldn't follow myself? And so that kind of like made me think like, I want to prove to myself that I'm as strong as I think I am. And you can think you are, but until you actually do it, you'll never know. Like I could think I'm tough. I could think I'm this, but unless you go prove it over and over again, like it's not real. And just in in my opinion, like you can do something once and be like, Oh, you're amazing at this. I'm like, no, I was amazing at that during that time. Like you could be great at something, lose your edge and not be able to do it ever again. And so it's about showing up every single time, not just it being some innate thing inside of me as much as it is something that I know I do have, but you have to reach deep down and get it out. And coach, coach, I want to go, I want to go run through a wall right now. Yeah, you me, so like you got me fired up. You got me fired up. That's the kind of mentality. Yeah. So that, that's the thing is like when you see that kind of stuff, it's like, all right, well, can I take my own advice? Like, right. Am I full of it? Like, I don't know. Like, you want to, you want to know that you're giving legit advice and you're also somebody that doesn't just give it. Like, someone that doesn't say, like, do as I say, not as I do. I want to be this person that does what I say. Right. And, um, and so I got into through hiking by meeting these people at chicken spring lake and they told me what they were on i was up there just on a random trip with my dog for my birthday in 2016 and um i mean somewhat arrogantly i was like i'm a better athlete than these people <laughs> like like looking at them and just kind of like i was like 
I guarantee you I can push harder or I can, I enjoy the stuff. Like I enjoy training. I enjoy that last 20 minutes of the game where everybody else is exhausted and I'm just pushing people and running them into the ground. Like that extra time where people feel like it's too hard and they start to mentally shut down, even though they could physically maybe still do it. That's like, that's where I come alive is in that. Like when I see other people struggling with something physical and they start to tell themselves, maybe I can't like, that's where I go double down, like go even harder. And, um, so yeah, I wanted to, I mean, with coaching, I take a year off. I couldn't take half a year off. It's kind of hard to mm-hmm. you know, bump somebody from their assignment halfway through the year. So I originally wanted to do one through hike. And then I was like, well, what's the like most efficient thing to do for like almost a year. And okay. let's put a pin well, in it just, right there. Let's put a pin in right there. We're going to take a quick break. And you know what? I just have to get in there that uh, these kids, they don't have a chance uh, with you as coach because they they can tell you, coach, that's too hard. That's too hard. You're you're being unrealistic here. What, what, what do you expect from us? You couldn't do this. You say, kid, I walked 5,300 miles. Oh, they all followed my whole journey. So like they, yeah, Yeah. they don't, they don't stand a chance. I was, yeah, I've coached a lot of them. Um, I run the, the like juniors program as well. Right. So I've coached some of the kids for over half their life. So yeah. like they've built that mentality and like, they are just little like winners and like good sportsmanship. And like, I'm like, I'm tough, but I'm really fun. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, they, I'm, I'm known as being really fun and also don't mess around. Like don't cross the line between having fun and goofing. And like, as long as you don't do that, then like, I'm your man. Like I go to kids' birthday parties. I go rock climbing yeah. with them. Like, and as long as they keep their, their butts and their mouth clean, it's okay. So stay tuned. We're going to take a quick 100%. break. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your 
podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Airborne, who uh, yo-yoed the PCT. How do you feel about yo-yos? Is that one of your favorite types of, uh, not, not yo-yos, out and backs? How do you feel about out and backs? Is that one of your favorite types of uh, trails going out and coming back? I was going to say, yo-yos were great in like fourth <laughs> grade, but I've kind of moved on from that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm, I try to avoid out and backs, to be honest. Like I... I prefer loops. I prefer balloons. I call them balloons where like you right. hike out and then you do like a little loop around and then come back. Right. So yeah, outbacks aren't that fun. Um, just because they're short. Like if you make a really long out and back, it yeah. seems like a whole new, it seems like a whole new trip. So yeah. Like the PCT um, out and back. <laughs> yeah. It became very, uh, it was different. Um, from North to South. Obviously, Washington was very similar. The northern part of Washington was the only thing that was extremely similar. Mm-hmm. And then things started to change a lot for the rest of the trail. So okay. it was almost like seeing the trail in two different two different experiences. So right. that and I back, really loved. Back to yo-yos for a second. You know whose must-bring must piece of gear was a yo-yo? Former guest on the podcast? Jupiter? Jupiter, that's right. Look at you. You know your you know your long distance hikers. There's not very many adults in the hiking community that enjoy yo-yos that much. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's the only one I know that advertises as yo-yo stuff online. <laughs> Airborne, I've just added a point to your score. You're now at 65. Good job. All right. <laughs> I'm sure we can find some things to bring that down. <laughs> I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Okay. So you think to yourself, uh, you meet these, these hikers out at chicken Springs. You say, I'm a better athlete. I can do this. And then you take it to the, did you take it to the extreme saying, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to go all the way to Canada. And did you know at that point you said you were going to, you were going to turn around and come back or is that something you, is that a decision you made on the trail at some point? No, I knew it from the beginning because I had to take a year off. And I was looking at my budget and stuff and uh, it just would have been, <clears throat> wouldn't have been, I mean, it would have been feasible, but it just would have been unnecessary. It was, this is my, this is my first through hike. Like this is my first through hike over like, you know, 150 miles <clears throat> or 200 miles. So I was, I'm, I'm like a trainer, like besides being a coach, like my, 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 my personality is like, I, I want to get good at something. Like I, I don't think I'm great. I think that I just have fortitude. So for me, it was a matter of like, I can really dial in being fast on the way back and dialing in how I would want to maybe hike in the future on these trips. But I was going to give myself the time to learn, to have the social experience on the way North to do all the normal things 
before I really changed gears and turned it into this like really ambitious effort. Um, I mean, part of it was I had to like, you know, find some people that wanted to go through the Sierra in late April. <laughs> so that was, that was my number one goal on the way North was like people around. And then once we got out of the snow, it was a little bit more individualistic in terms of um, everyone's individual goals and ambitions mm -hmm. kind of took over. And uh, we were safe to split up as opposed to during this, during that early time in the Sierra, you kind of right. want to group up right. and make sure safe, safety in numbers there. Hey, Airborne, yeah. is it okay if I'm a little bit skeptical about your, your reasoning for doing the uh, out and back? Uh, you know, the, we talked earlier about how it, you know, skin, skin growing back is free. You didn't want to pay for those pants. I mean, it's, it's probably just cheaper to walk back than to have to pay for airfare or uh, pay for the gas. To, to drive back to Southern California. I, I'm thinking that might have yeah. been the real reason. Yeah. I, I just would always joke around that like I was going home and then I was just going to like Forrest Gump people at the border. Or I just like got there and I was like, oh, I'm kind of tired. I think I'll go home now and just turn around and start walking back. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was just about efficiency. It was about efficiency mm -hmm. and the, the like question of, I can set this crazy goal. I can tell everybody about it. And then do I have the fortitude to actually complete it? And then looking, I didn't even know that so few people had done it. When yeah, I, what, what is the total? What, what is the total? Who, how many people have actually done this? I was the fifth person. Wow. So I, I guess it was the sixth time, but the fifth person because Scott Williamson, who I mm. met twice on trail and is an amazing human being. Um, he has done it twice. So he's and has anybody, over has anybody, has anybody done it since? No. Wow. I think it was like 2014 was the last time somebody had done it. That is, that is a rare group to be in a group of people of, of just that just number five. I mean, you're the fifth person to do it. That, I mean, that is, that is rare air. Yeah. And like I did it slightly different. Most people will, start a little bit later so they avoid the snow in the Sierra as much as possible. Whereas like my goal was like, it's my first through hike and I live down here and I know I don't want to be in the desert when it's hot. Like I live here. It's not very nice. And when it's hot. So I started March 7th. So I started early and I knew that like, I would rather mountaineer through snow and get a whole different experience that people don't ever get. Like we were the first group through. Like there was no tracks. There was no, there was nothing, not a, not a, like not a mark or anything to follow on the ground. It was just us navigating. And that was the best experience of my life. It was the hardest and the most adventurous. I felt like I was like a, like a pioneer or I was on some grand adventure that was so far away from civilization. Um, like that was one of my goals. I want, I didn't want to just do it. I wanted to do it in a different way. I wanted to, go through the Sierra first and then get there. And then, you know, I'm not arrogant enough to think I was so amazing. I knew that I had at this point, I still had those injuries and stuff in my foot. Mm -hmm. So I knew I had to leave early. And then um, it was cool just to get a whole different experience on the way back. And like on trail, I didn't see any, we didn't see anybody new for like until Sobos. Like right. I saw my last, my last new person around big bear. And then the next person we saw was up by like Sierra city area. 
So like it was somebody who had skipped ahead too. So it wasn't, it was like every campsite you got to, nobody was there. You were it. Every town it. you got to, you were the first people of the year. Right. It was just very exciting. It was so, it was much more of an adventure as opposed to like, I don't know. It, it wasn't very crowded. There wasn't a lot right. of people around. There wasn't, it wasn't as impacted the trail, at least like that year. There was like, it, it was just the best experience of my life. Like, right. Now for, for context, um, when, when did you start from Campo? What was the date? Do you remember? March 7th. March 7th. When did you hit the Canadian border? August 1st at 9.05 PM. Okay. So less than five months, four and a half months then. Four yeah. and three quarters, and something like that. A hundred days on the way south. Okay. So you turned around and it was a little over three months coming back. Yeah. Okay. Now most most of our uh, PCT hikers, they will spend the first 600 miles talking about the Sierras thinking about the Sierras, dreading the Sierras, wondering what's going to happen uh, in the, up, up in, up at the altitude there. And generally you don't, you don't try and enter the Sierras until June 15th, I think is the the magical date that they, they kind of the ideal yeah. entry date. Right. That's yeah, right. Ray Jardine. Yep. And uh, you went through the Sierras in April. Late April, yeah. yeah. Late April. What what were the conditions? I know 2017 was a high snow year. I don't think 2018 was as high. No, it was like a I think like 80% something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to going to err on saying below cuz sure. I don't want to say it was higher than it was. Um but yeah, I mean that's the excitement of it and um I had already done the Sierra through the snow the year before. Like that was kind of my test run of like, where does the trail go? Where do you cross these rivers? Cause like that year was crazy for, for flooding and for danger. Oh yeah. Um, Signs posted so everywhere was, by, by Rangers. You know, you don't cross here, find, find an alternate crossing. Cause it's, it was it's like the South people, people died. People died. hundred percent. I was a couple of days behind her. Yeah. Like the South Fork of the Kings, like in 2017, we didn't cross it. Mm-hmm. Cause we just did the like Skirka little bypass around the outside. Cause you cross it twice. Right. Um, and it was just so exciting. I mean, we had snow from basically, um, Monachi meadow, which is the big meadow just past candy meadows on the, on like the North side where you, where you, you cross the bridge of the South Fork of the Kern. Um, yeah, we had snow from there until, um, past Truckee until the Peter Grubb hut until like four miles past the Peter Grubb hut. Um, we had pretty much snow the whole time, maybe like 10 miles without snow over that, over that period. Yeah. A lot of post holing. Oh God. Yeah. We would start, we would start at like four in the morning, three in the morning, like a lot of days and get up over the pass, get as far as we could and then stop by like, noon or one just because at that point you were sinking down to your like waist and uh and so it was like it was ice so like when we were like climbing mather pass it was like it would take four or five whacks of your ice axe to even like get enough of an edge to be able to put your crampon in so it was like, it was solid, hard ice. It wasn't like you can kick steps in. It was like, you're sitting there balancing 
on a cliff like this because there is no trail there is no track and you're having to whack and whack and whack and then finally get a chunk of ice to come out just so you can get the tip of your thing in there so like honestly like if you would have slipped on mather pass like i would have been dead like there was there's no there's no self-arresting on an ice rink on a you know 50 degree angle <laughs> like that's not gonna happen because one of the biggest things people don't realize is a snow, a lower snow year can be more dangerous than a higher snow year early on because a heavy snow year will start to fill out the angle of the mountain. Whereas the snow falls down, it'll kind of create the angle to be less. Whereas like in a lower snow year, you're a little bit more up and down because it's just covering the rocks. It's not like deep enough where the angle has been kind of decreased a little bit. So yeah, and if that's if that's difficult to follow for our listeners, if you're watching on YouTube, he does a very good job of uh, giving examples with his hands in terms of the angles that he's talking about. So that makes sense. Yeah, and then the top of Mather Pass, we had a, like a ten foot cornice, a vertical cornice. So we got to the top of like it was like an hour and a half of uh, like going very slow and making sure you didn't slip because you would die. And then we got to the top, and then it was just. 10 feet of vertical snow and that was probably the sca- the scariest part of like that whole Sierra part was uh just trying to get up and over without either causing the corners to fall or trying to fit like it was just a lot of like assessing assess assess where do we go where do we go like because there was no track and every year the path of the snow is totally different so it was like, hey, we had to avoid going to the to the left of Mather Pass, which is where I would rather go in the snow, because during that time, the snow was causing a lot of rock falls. So like we had some rocks that earlier on we were going that way with the original plan. And then we had some big like killers that would randomly just start careening down right at us. And we had to like duck out of the way. And we were like, hey, screw this. We need to go to the right, no matter what it is at least we don't get a, you know, a head, a bowling ball to the face at like 40 miles an hour and die. (laughs) Cause like, we were all joking about like, even if it's not me, like I still got to deal with your body. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. (laughs) Like (laughs) it's going to ruin my trip. You die. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, it was just a a lot of problem solving, which I love is that like intensity of problem solving and on the fly. And so, yeah, the Sierra was just, it was like a magical adventure. I wish everybody could experience it the way we did. Um, the hardest part was just creating a group because everyone, back to your original question about everyone talking about it in the desert. Um, I was the only one, everyone started early that year. Like there wasn't a lot of hiking experience going on. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple people that like hadn't been in snow. Like we had a guy that was from Mississippi and then we had a Israeli guy that like had only seen snow a couple times and it was like in boston it wasn't like on anywhere else um so it was about me setting the expectations of what we need to expect and what gear you need to have and and then i had a really good like really super amazingly strong very competent smart guy that i was hiking with and he kind of led the way through this year for the most part like we talked about which route we wanted to take and how we were going to go. And then he was just so much stronger. Um, and 
he was just younger and just like, you know, he had something to prove, like not in a bad way, but like to himself of like getting himself out of a rut, I think something like that. And he, uh, and so I was like, Hey man, like you're so competent. It's not even funny. Um, like you lead the way, like I'll kind of hang back and make sure that we don't leave anybody behind. Cause if we leave anybody behind, like we're all going to have to stop. I'm going to make sure we all stop. There's no leaving somebody in late April and early May in the Sierra. Um, so it was, <clears throat> it was kind of cool. Cause like, I didn't, even though I knew it the best, we would just talk about it. And I would say, Hey, this is where you might want to look. This is where you might want to think about going. Um, th- these are the dangers. These are the situations. And then him making those decisions along the way. And I cannot, you know, say enough about rabbit and about how just competent and a great human being he was. <laughs> Okay. Any issues with, I know you had boots on at that point, right? Boots and, and your crampons, any, any issues with, with frostbite in the snow post holing all day? No, I'm, this is going to sound messed up. This might take my score down. Um, but like playing soccer for so long and playing in colder environments and having wet feet a lot. Um, I think a lot of the nerves in my feet are just dead. (laughs) So like when it gets cold, I'm used to being cold and wet. Like I don't, it isn't like, obviously to an extent, I don't want it to like affect me at like my core, but like if I have a little bit cold feet and a little bit of numb feet, like that's not a big deal to me. That's like, whatever. But um, I think the only time I was really, well, I mean like Whitney, we had like a negative degree wind chill. We had like a zero, just below zero degree wind chill. Um, but we got up there and then we got down. Um, but I think it was Benson pass, um, Schmedberg Lake in particular, one of the places I went on my first backpacking trip ever. And, uh, we got there and it was just like socked in. Like we had rain from like Red's Meadow from Mammoth, like all the way to, um, to Sonora pass. It just rained on us every day, like sleet and rain. It was just miserable like it was really like testing our resolve um and hang on airborne people people are listening right now and they're thinking this doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun i mean this sounds like uh really embracing the suck (laughs) and we we know we talked to a number of, of folks who have stressed the importance of being able to be comfortable being uncomfortable is that kind of the mindset you have to uh, take on? You know, you have to go into it knowing that, you know, some of this is going to suck and some of it's going to suck bad, but man, it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about afterwards. Yeah. I hundred percent like that is just rough, but it's also a great way to see it really magnifies your overall outlook on society and your life. Um, if you have one or two hard things happen and that screws you up for the rest of the day, then that's probably how you live your life. Whereas I could have the whole day be pretty hard and rough. And then you see this one thing where the sun comes through these clouds and you're like cold as hell and you're wet a little bit. And like, do you have the capacity to look at that and think, man, I'm so lucky to be here or this is so awesome. Or, um, just that kind of mentality of like, when things get hard, do you go, when this is hard, 
or when things get hard, do you, do you em- embrace it? Like I would always say to myself, especially when I was alone um, on the way South is uh, I would just repeat this like mantra in my head of love, like all bad times pass. Like if you push, if you keep going, it will pass. They cannot last forever. Like it, it can't, if you keep going, you will come through the other side of it. And when you come to the other side of it, you'll be stronger than you were before because you will have known that when it gets hard, you can overcome it. And I think those, that kind of mentality snowballs and you gain so much strength from overcoming adversity and from staying positive. Like, I don't know, I grew up in a team atmosphere like my whole life, whether it's been on a team or leading teams or whatever it is. So when you're with a group, at least for me, I don't care about myself. Like in terms of I might be having the worst day ever in my own head, but if I can outwardly project to somebody else that might be having a rough time, that it's okay. We're having a good time or we giggle about this. I crack a joke and we laugh and then their spirits get raised. Selfishly. That's also knowing that that, their spirits being raised will raise my spirits and knowing the fact that some people will double down on negativity and they will let it drive themselves even more negative. Or you can say, Hey, I'm in a bad place, but if I can consciously try to change that tune for somebody else, it will also change it for myself. And um, I think that's one of the most powerful things that people can learn is your mental state is kind of not an end all be all, or it's not a sentence as much as it is. Like if you can step back and observe yourself, like if you can be the player and the coach at the same time and kind of observe yourself as the player um, or the, like the participant, right. Then you can kind of go like, Hey, like what's going on with that guy? Like, what does he need to change? Cool. Well, maybe it's, Maybe it's doing something. Maybe it's this guy needs me to go get him some water. Even though I'm struggling, I feel like crap. I'm cold. I'm tired. But if I can do that little gesture for him, maybe that changes his afternoon. And then that builds camaraderie. And then that will eventually raise my mood because then he might do something for me. And um, I don't know. I just think that is like one of the biggest takeaways that – I've had for my life, but then right. seen it impl- seen it implemented in actual strenuous situations. Um, just makes me a huge believer in just like, I don't know, being a leader or being like the, being the person to make positive change, not just right. wallow in tough times. Right. Don't wallow. It's great. Now, what was, uh, what was your highest mileage day on the, the yo-yo? 47.1 couldn't get to 50 huh what's wrong with it what's wrong with you dude it was it was <laughs> so like so like on the inside like i'm like yeah you're right it wasn't that far but <laughs> but then my logical brain like i wasn't here for some 24-hour challenge or something like that like mm-hmm. i was here like i was there to i don't want to rob miles from tomorrow just to pad today's stat. Oh, nice. Cause I yeah, wasn't in it. I, 
I needed to be consistent. Right. Like I needed to see what could I, what's the highest mileage I could sustain every single day. Mm -hmm. Not, not what could I whip out and then take two zeros. Right. Because that just drops my average a ton. If I have to average 34 miles a day or 32 miles a day, like then if I'm robbing miles in the next day, then it's just setting me back. And then I have to jump. Oh, you're a numbers guy. You're a numbers guy. Well, for me, it was, it was, it was about get through the Sierra before I die. Like this year before it freezes. (laughs) And so, um, that day was, we had some, um, some fire. I had a lot of fires on the way South. Um, so I woke up, I did the 30 miles into White's pass going Sobo. And then there was a big fire there and there was a a reroute. So I kind of just like hung out for like five hours, ate a bunch. I was really skinny at that point. I was like gaunt, like unhealthy, like, it was having trouble like thinking I was so skinny. I was, like, you're cannibal- cannibalizing your brain. Probably you're, you're, you're yeah. I was like six yeah. to 145 pounds. So yeah. I was like a skeleton. Like I could see my heartbeat through my chest. Um, so, but I needed to stay on, like I was at, at that point, I was so rigid. Like I needed to stay on schedule to get through this year. So I could like, just that was my goal. Once I got, once mm-hmm. I got to the Sierra, I could just relax. Or once I got through the Sierra, I could just relax. Um, so yeah, I hung out until dark and then, um, kind of went through this area <laughs> and, uh, and hiked up to the top of goat rocks and then spent the night. Um, so it was like a very long, it was a necessity day because of like, I beat my record two days in a row of my highest day just because I needed to, I knew that this reroute was happening and it was like, right. It was kind of like a test. I, I, I looked at a lot of things that happened to me on trail as tests. Like when I had, um, I had a ro- rotator cuff injury that left like these two, the pinky and my ring finger on my right hand, completely numb for like five months after trail. Oh, wow. And, um, so I, I was in extreme pain. Like I was breaking down daily. Like I would like, by the end of the day, I'd like start like just like whimpering a little bit. Cause it was like, it was just constantly, someone was stabbing me in the back all day long, but like I had to get through this year and I had to keep going. And so it was just a matter of like, once you get these challenges, it's like, this is your moment. You either pass or fail. Like, again, the thing in my head was like all bad times pass. They cannot last forever. Right. A couple questions for you. Sorry, go ahead. That's okay. A couple questions for you. Was, uh, was the northbound hike more difficult or less difficult than the southbound hike? Different. I mean, the way north, obviously, the snow made it so much harder. Right. Um, physically. But I think going south, I'm a very team-oriented person. So going south and having to be by myself and not have anybody to like, like I was saying earlier about sack. Like, so going South, I would say, because, yeah, you know, like I said, being, being part of a team, it's easier for me to sacrifice. Like I don't need to be happy as long as I can make somebody else happy or like, right. Know, and that was going to be my other question. My other question was, uh, I know that you spent a lot of time in solitude, uh, on that, that, the, the Sobo and you had talked so much about teamwork and camaraderie and, doing stuff for others and how did that impact your, your southbound hike? 
I think that was the most intriguing thing to me is I've been so good at being in the team atmosphere. Like I've not to brag, but like I've been like a captain of pretty much everything I've done my whole life mm-hmm. just because I have that like selfless attitude towards helping the people and doing the dirty work and like picking people up when they're down and just making sure that like we as a group have good morale. Right. Um, when you're by yourself, you kind of have to play both roles. Like, and um, yeah, honestly, the first two weeks were extremely hard for me mentally where I was like, what am I doing? Cause I, I, once my friends got off trail and they had finished, it was a lot easier. But like when I was on my way South and then I hadn't run into them yet and they were still on trail and I saw them how happy and how fun, how much fun they were having. I was kind of like thinking like, what am I doing? Like my ambition again has like led me to like be in this crazy situation. Um, but I knew that that was something that I needed. I, I needed to learn to be completely independent and not just be part of a team. And so that I really struggled with loneliness a lot. That's like, I was really sad, but again, I knew like all bad times pass. And I knew that like from um, child development and psychology classes in college that like, it takes two to three weeks for you to kind of for your situation to change for it to kind of start to become normal and for you to start to adapt a little bit. So I knew in my head, I was like, I at least, first of all, I was never going to quit. I just knew that I was going to be miserable and then I would never do that again. Like I was going to finish it and then be like, that was horrible. I'm not doing that again. Um, but then I started to adjust and I started to really like my own company. Not like I didn't like my own company, but like when there wasn't someone to make laugh or there wasn't, you know, that camaraderie, there wasn't someone to be strong for it's kind of when you're stuck in situations and there's nobody around, you really get to see your own reaction. When there's somebody around, you mute parts of yourself or parts of your emotions based off of the fact that you don't want someone else to maybe see that, or you don't want them to know that you're afraid. So you hide that. Whereas like when you're by yourself, like it all just kind of comes out or it's like, at least when you're that isolated, like I went days without speaking to people. I went like four days without speaking a word out loud. Right. Like, at least to, to another person, not to, no, I talked to squirrels and stuff, but <laughs> talk to yourself a bit. And, too. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the solo Southbound part was so awesome because that really like, just that was where I got the most growth personally was being more content. Like I used to be like the life of the party guy where I was always like, in the mix being like not loud but like you know i guess loud but just being like you know gregarious and like and like being in the mood and being the guy that's like yeah and then after trail i'm kind of like quiet or more quiet like you can get me talking but it's more like one-on-one or like two-on-one not big groups like i used to Right. Like, and did like, your, your family and friends notice that? Did they, have they, have they expressed that to you that you seem to be different since the trail? Yeah. I'm a lot calmer and like, I don't like, I don't go out a lot. Like I, I just look at things, everything now it's like a problem. Like everything is through the lens of like adventure. So it's like, so those, my friends those, like, Hey, uh, do you want to go out to this bar? And I'm like, I don't want to go spend $60 that's a, that's a tank of gas that gets me all the way to here to go backpacking. Like 
I don't want to feel bad the next morning. So guess what? I'm not going to go. Sorry. So the date, the date hokas have a lot of tread left on them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what, what did you learn about yourself from this experience? Um, man, that's a good one. I learned that I'm, I am as strong as I think, but it's not something innate. It's something that needs to be, needs to be proven every single day. Like that kind of resilience, people think that people that are resilient or steadfast or that are like sometimes like stoic type people, um, that that's just innately how they are as opposed to it being something that is a conscious choice when you wake up every day of like, it's easy to give up on things. My brain was always telling me like, if I give up on this, what am I going to give up on next? What's the next thing that's hard that I think is okay because, you know, it was brave for me to quit or like, I don't want to denigrate anybody that quits for their own reasons. But for me in my brain, it was like, if I quit this, what else am I going to quit? What else when it gets hard, am I going to go, you know what? I got what I came for. It's like, no, what I came for was what I signed up for. And if I don't get what I want out of it, then guess what? I won't do that again. But I need to see the other side. And if you give up sometimes, you won't see the other side. So I think what I learned is um, just follow through. Follow through and don't wait until you're old. I was always, somebody told me before I started the trail, before I started doing this, like, I was kind of saying, I don't know if I, when I'll ever get a chance to do something that I really want to do. And it was uh, someone in their late 60s that um, wanted to go do things when they retired. And then they got cancer, like, when they retired. They're fine now, but they're not obviously in the health to go do something crazy. And the advice is kind of like, don't wait until you're old to go do the things you want to do. And so in, in my head, I was thinking like, I don't want to be old and wish I had done things that require a youthful body. Right. That's an um, excellent point. Excellent point. So that was my biggest thing. Was like, I just wanted to go do the things you want to do. You only have one life. Like I couldn't Im- imagine not having done this now when I, I don't know, when I think about it, I think of some kind of hokey, but like we don't have a rite of passage in our culture. Like there's a, probably a reason why more primitive or earlier cultures um, had rites of passages for people to become adults and to become men and women and like, right. have these hard journeys and things to do that, really made you introspective and think about your life and kind of make you unplug from everybody else. <clears throat> and um, I think that really was a big rite of passage in terms of how often, especially now with cell phones, like, I don't know, when you and I grew up, we didn't have cell phones, like it didn't become a thing until after college or after right. high school for me in the middle of mm-hmm. college, all of a sudden there was a smartphone. Um, but like to just be unplugged for the most part, I mean, obviously, we're, people are still on stuff during their hikes, and you still get service all the time for the most part. But just being away from 
people and interacting with people on a more human level. Like I found it really weird when I came home that when I saw somebody on the street, I would make eye contact and say hello. And they would be like, <laughs> this guy's a little what? strange. <laughs> yeah. This guy's a little weird. Yeah. And like that made me sad at first. Like I was mm. like, I miss the genuine connection of trail where like, <clears throat> I'm the best version of myself and everybody I run into is the best version of themselves. And people are doing all these acts of kindness, right? Taking me to their home, feeding me. Um, like I meet somebody randomly on trail and then we're sharing a hotel room. Yeah. At night. It's like the purest Those version of life, right? Yeah. hundred percent. Those things just yeah. don't happen. And it's sad because that is like, I think something that everybody should experience. Like, yeah. I feel like we should have a gap year where you're given like a thousand dollars and you get to go hike for one month. Oh, let's make and it happen. Let's build that into the budget. Let's go. Dude. I mean like that is something I feel like would be, would benefit society so much. Yeah. Just because I don't know about you, but <clears throat> like when I went to college originally, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Oh, All yeah. I knew five I five different majors, five different majors later for me. So absolutely. Exactly. Hey, we are, like, we are running, we are running long on time here and there's, there's so much stuff that I want to talk to you about. Can I, can I get you to, to promise to come back on the podcast uh, maybe a little bit later for a follow-up episode with airborne? Sure. Of course. Okay. Fun. Fantastic. Hey, airborne, you know where we are? Where you are? Where we are. California. The pro tip insight of the week. That's right. Uh -oh. We're at that time of the episode where I'm going to ask you for your pro tip inside of the week. And truthfully, you've been dropping trail wisdom and advice the whole way through, but uh, you're officially on the hook for another piece of trail wisdom to share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. What do you have for us? I got a good one. Um, on the great Western, like, well, I started January 1st at the at the campo border in 2020 mm -hmm. and i realized i forgot my water filter when i was already like getting like on like pretty much on the trail and so i had to like figure out how to get water in between town like i'm not someone who just drinks random water and gets the area um so one of the, my biggest coaches that i learned um was i would leave like a little bit of water in the bottom of my cup like maybe a third of my water bottle and I would compact snow, shove it in there. And then I have my fanny pack that would prevent anything from falling out of my shirt. And I would put the water bottles in my shirt. And so I, I could hike faster without getting hot and sweating. And then the snow is pretty important to not overheat and sweat. And then it would melt the, the so I had like one and a half liters for like 45 miles. Doing so Nice. Yeah, and so I kept replenishing it, and like that was one of the biggest things. For, it, it didn't click in my head because for me it just was like, no, that's what I had to do. That's what I had in the situation to fix it. And I had some people mention to me like, that's a genius idea. I never thought about that. And I was like, oh, like, I, I guess, yeah, I, that's something that was really cool to me. Um, that was really smart. I guess some people aren't always in the snow without water and filters by themselves but um but yeah. in that specific situation genius idea well done 
I think it's about just being problem solving and like yeah. understanding, like not getting freaked out about your situation and giving up as much as it is like, all right, these are the tools. These are the parameters. What can I do? What right. tactic can I use to get to what I need to do? Yep. Think I it out. Like coaching has helped me a lot. Nice. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Airborne. Want to thank him for joining us this week. Airborne, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. It's just my name, um, John Schwartz, um, J-O-N-S-C-H-W-A-R-Z-E. Um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of it for now. Um, okay. I'm kind of in this period where I'm just like working and going back to school. So then when I do my next crazy adventure thing, I can set myself up to kind of transition my career. Perfect. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamir at gmail.com. Airborne, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, some kind of uh, adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the trail. This is our adventure media recommendation. And oh man, I am in, I'm all, I'm off my game because I forgot to play the intro to that segment from Half Cash. You'll be disappointed. The adventure media recommendation. There we go. Now it's, it's official. So what do you have for us in terms of uh, your adventure media recommendation? Um, I would say the free outside book. Um, Jeff Garmeyer. Jeff Garmeyer. Um, been on the podcast twice. Legend. Good yeah, guy. He's become He's become one of my really good friends since I did the yo-yo. We kind of are very similar. <laughs> and um, and his book is amazing. And yeah. it, it's just to the point. And it's just real. And it's like, I don't know. I just, I really am a big fan of him in terms of knowing him personally and how he actually lives his life. Um, so... I would say that is something that I think people should read because it's an amazing story of, you know, a young guy just doing something insanely amazing because he wanted to just change his life. Yep. Like he was tired of his job and he wanted to make a change. And if you're going to make a change, might as well go big. And go big. That's you know, right. If you know Jeff, he went big. <laughs> you, so. you two are similar. Go big. Yeah. All and right. And then go home. And then <laughs> And that brings us to what have we not asked you? Oh my goodness there. Uh, so what, what did we miss out on? Is there a little tidbit you can share with us that uh, you want us to know about before we move on? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I don't know. Anyway, we, we can say, we can say it for the next episode too. So it's okay. I don't know. All that comes to my mind is like these cheesy coaching like things or like now that I'm like taking classes, I'm taking some like pre classes at the community college. So it's like, I'm like the old guy in class and I'm like, Hey kids, make sure you take a good major. And you, you know, these next three years are going to define your life. And like, <laughs> so, um, I think one thing we can say is just get out there, get out of your comfort zone, experience something new. And not just don't give up on a good, on a, on a bad day. Just don't give up. Like be stubborn. Most things in life 
that, that are going to lead to success are just wars of attrition. It's not necessarily being the best, the most talented, the strongest. It's about being the person that perseveres. That is the skill that matters. And Fantastic. That's what I'd like to say. Well said. Well said. That is a wrap from the John Freakamir studio. Any shout outs to friends and family airborne? Uh, Don Hikes, you're annoying. <laughs> He's my buddy. So that's fine. Okay. <laughs> nice. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you've ridden the bobsled and your hands look like raw pork. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.